What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Favalli coming at you with the very fantabulous, the spectaculario. Spectaculario, yes, that is a word here. Bleacher Reports, Grant Hughes, and also Hardwood Knox is Grant Hughes at this point. Friend, colleague, uh, been on this podcast many times. We've worked together for like over a decade at this point since 2011 or whatever it's been now that's been it's been a minute we're getting fucking old yeah uh, off-season report card time who is excited but before we get into it grant it's been a minute how the hell are you i'm so happy to be back i'm so happy to be doing these grades i'm so happy to see your face and i'm so happy to talk for uh 40 minutes off offline about uh pre-workout supplements <laughs> so that <laughs> And as because we're getting old, we have to have those conversations. So I enjoyed that, but I'm going to enjoy this conversation more because I'm, I love this part of the year in a weird way because the dust is kind of settled and like how you felt on July 3rd, as all this stuff was going down has given way to sort of a bird's eye view. And I feel like it's a little easier to kind of take a holistic look at each team. So I, I don't know. I think this is a really good time to be doing this, even though, even though things will potentially change for certain divisions that we'll, uh, we'll get to later. I do feel the timelines were messed up the past few years. And I think that you've now, this is the third year that you've done this with me. Um, so like, I, I don't know the exact date we did it, but I don't think the league has felt more unsettled than it does now when we've done these, just because of the Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell ripple effects. And I guess you could look at it as, well, those are mostly just going to affect the jazz and the nets if anything happens. And then they'll invariably impact like one other team in each or two other teams. But then it's like, well, are they holding up Colin Sexton? Are they holding up John Collins? Are they holding up like these other deals, like a trade that Phoenix or Toronto would want to make? So I feel not even a little bit confident about doing these right now um, <laughs> because I'm just like in my head, I have to make sure I'm not accounting for stuff that is unsettled. That has not happened yet. The, the good news is I think most of the teams we're going to do today are pretty settled. So we can at least like work into it that way. Right. And so I'm going to try and this is going to be the criteria. I'm going to try and clip this exact clip that we're talking right now and put it in front of every single podcast. So the criteria is one homers don't need to listen to this podcast. Like I'm just going to, I'm not going to, we're not going to be like unduly like unkind to your team, but if you're looking for just rosy outlooks on everyone, it's not happening. So if you're watching on YouTube, I know there's a lot of homers on YouTube. Just feel free to click off and go to another video. Uh, also remember C is like average to like above average. So don't be insulted when your team gets a C. We went through this last year. I went and listened back to one of them. Like that's the same criteria we used. So if your team gets a C or a C minus, they pass. This isn't like, I don't really even know, like what, what do you need a B plus in for it to be viewed as like a passing grade? Uh, and these are from like the team's perspectives. I'm glad that every player got the money that they did. Uh, and the other thing that, and I'm sure Grant followed it the same way is like, I'm not necessarily assuming that these teams could have gotten players for cheaper. Uh, it's just a matter of, is this the direction they should have gone? Was the alternative going a completely different direction? Like, I'm not going to say, oh, okay, uh, the Bulls, uh, they should have went out and they should have been able to have signed Bradley Beal. Like, no, that's not that's not how we're... So we're trying to... We're grading teams relative to the tools they had at their disposal. Yes, that, uh, that's the key to, to me. To that? That, no, that's the key is, is I a, a thing that's always stuck in my head from... I forget even where I heard it, but it, it, success is measured by what you accomplish a, relative to what you had the capacity to accomplish. So it's like these teams all had different resources, different cap situations, different needs, different, I don't know, levels of it, levels of aggression is not really one of those things because everybody should have a high one. 
but you know, the reality is all these teams are operating sort of on distinct, uh, you know, sets of circumstances. So yeah, it's, it's how did you do relative to like what you could have done? And then that's where we get into maybe what you should have done or what you should not have done. Um, so yeah, everybody's grade is, is kind of, you know, depends on what they had the ability to do. Um, and I, I would say too, uh, homers, maybe come back a little bit. Cause as I'm looking at my grades for all these teams, I'm pretty friendly. I'm, I think I went soft this summer. I think I have higher grades than looking around at some other people that have done grades. I tend to come out higher on almost everything. Um, so I will be, we don't know what each other's grades are. So I'll be interested to see, uh, how much meaner you are than I am. Cause I think that's where we're going. Well, I, I think this is a good time to note that you can find Grant at GT underscore Hughes over on masturbatory Twitter, where every team and every transaction is the greatest thing ever. I did not. I, I felt like I was harsh or fair. I wasn't trying to be punitive, but there are no with that. So let's get into the central division criteria is out of the way. Uh, no one failed for me in this division. I didn't give out any failing grades. So if that's the definition of kind, maybe I met it, but uh, let me, so let's start with the Chicago bulls. I can run through their most notable moves here. Look, if I miss some, or if like between the two of us, I'm sure Grant and I will catch 95% of what happened. But if we miss something major, you could feel free to, to let us know. Uh, they drafted Dale and Terry at number 18. They picked up uh, Tony Bradley, picked up his player option. They signed Derek Jones Jr. to a two-year $6.6 million deal, player option on year two. They signed Andre Drummond to the exact same contract with the player option on year two. They re-signed Zach Levine to a five-year $215.2 million deal, a player option on that final season in 26-27. They signed Justin Lewis to a two-way contract, signed Javon Freeman Liberty to an Exhibit 10 deal, and they signed Goran Dragic to a one-year vet minimum uh, notable exits that were not mentioned in what will be the notable move section above. I have Troy Brown Jr. went to the Lakers, and then Matt Thomas and Tristan Thompson both remain unsigned at the moment. It's probably also worth noting, because when we get to the Wizards, this is going to matter. The Bulls did not give Zach Levine no trade clause. I don't think he was eligible to one, for be fair, but uh, just just a fun anecdote there. So what do you have for these for these guys? Do you want to list all the other players who did not get no trade clauses on their deals? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just the next uh, hour and 90 minutes, uh, hour and 60 minutes, hour and 30 minutes will be spent listing all the players in the league that don't have a no trade clause. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I I just, uh, I had them at a flat B um, and I feel like uh, it was just again, because the big piece of business was getting Levine back into the fold. Um, they didn't have a lot of other options. Like I'm not in love with Drummond or Derek Jones or anything like that. Um, this team feels like a sneaky, oh, we're going to get partway into the season and blow it up team because this just is like DeMar DeRozan's not an MVP candidate anymore, shocker. And Vucevic is, uh, was kind of the start of like what I think is a kind of a bad team building uh, plan of action uh, a couple of years ago with that trade from Orlando. Um, I just, you know, they got the big thing, right. They didn't do any like horrible damage. They didn't have a ton of resources. So it's not like, you know, they missed out on all these other opportunities. Um, I don't feel great about that grade. I'd be more likely to lower it than raise it, especially if, if I don't know how fair this is, but if Levine's, you know, knees continue to be issues or if he has health problems going forward, like that's, that's an issue, but like, just, just to stick with Levine, cause that really is sort of the main piece of business. You know, I think I flipped farther on him from negative to positive over the last like four years than I can remember on almost any player because I just didn't think 
you know, I thought when the Kings signed him to that offer sheet in restricted free agency years ago, it was a perfect King signing because it was so stupid and just misguided. And this guy won't help you win. And then Levine is like one of a handful of guys that can be your number one option and also scale to being a great number two because he's fine on the ball and off it. And he's just improved, you know, incrementally every year. So I think that's the right number for him. I think he is that, you know, reasonable minds could disagree, but I think he is worth that money. Um, so I guess that's really like 90% of my grade. I think they just kept their best player. They did what it took to do that. And, you know, I'm ready. For, I'm re I'm totally receptive to the other stuff on the margins, knocking that grade down. So I gave them a B minus largely for the same reason. And just like, I think it's also a win for them that Levine didn't go. I know he has health concerns in the past, but didn't go the shorter term route trying to get into free agency at the peak of the cap smoothing, whether that's 2026 uh, or 2025. And this deal takes him through, if he picks up his player option, his age 31 season. If he doesn't, it only takes him through his age 30 season. So that's arguably even more just uh, of a no risk prop or low risk proposition, we should say. So they, they hit their big move. I also just, I'm, I think you can say, okay, well, why didn't they use their mid-level exception? Why do they still continue to act like a smaller market team? And I think that's a fair criticism. I just want to know who did you want them to spend? And I'm not saying this was your criticism. I'm not, Grant, tell me who you wanted them to sign <laughs> with the mid-level. But like, Otto Porter. Uh, Otto Porter, but he wanted to go to Toronto right. because his girlfriend's from Toronto. Um, PJ Tucker really wanted to go to Philly. And it's like, well, could they have gotten Kyle Anderson? Could they have gotten Isaiah Hartenstein instead of, Drummond, but do you want to spend the entire MLE on a backup big? Maybe you do just because Vooch is entering the final year of his contract. So I'm, I'm willing to listen to people quibble about that. Uh, but I just don't think that there were any opportunities missed here. The path not taken would be, well, could they have been ag more aggressive uh, in any trade proposals? And the answer is right now to me is no, because yeah. like they don't have the asset equity to go after Donovan Mitchell uh, to go after Kevin Durant. And so, like, yes, they have Patrick Williams there, but okay. Like, they can't trade a pick until 27 at this point. So, I'm fine with what they did. Um, I would have liked to have seen... I want to be more confident in their front court rotation. And so, I kind of feel like they missed there. I think, that, by the way, I think the Goran Dragic signing was probably a home run. Like, this is not... This is someone who can kind of still play and put the ball on the floor. Uh, and I'm just surprised that it took more to get Andre Drummond or even Derek Jones Jr. Than I, I know Dragic is older, but I would have liked to have seen them gone a route where either if it, instead of Derek Jones Jr. or Andre Drummond, could they have found someone who would have spaced the floor in the front court or a better rim protector than Andre Drummond, who's not like this true blue rim protector. I think people just, and it's fine. He's your backup five. I get it. But like, could you have gotten, like I would have preferred probably Hassan Whiteside to yeah. Andre Drummond here. Like I'm just, that's where I'm not, not Dwight Howard maybe. And I know Drummond was like, before he went to Brooklyn was a big part of, the Sixers' success and deepening that rotation, I'm still just very uninspired about the frontline rotation. And a lot of that comes down to, well, what is Patrick Williams? We still need to know what he is. Is he your three? Is he your four? And I still remain very high on him. I was in big support when they took him at number four. So I'm not even impugning them for that. But there are still too many questions up front after the season that Vooch had. And if you look at some of the bigs that were available, and like Hartenstein's the one that springs out to me the most, uh, I didn't want them to sign Mar Marvin Bagley, for instance. Uh, but like, could they have done something like even Mo Bamba would have made more sense here. And maybe he got too much money from the magic over two years, but could you have scaled that to three? Um, I'm just, it wasn't an uninspiring offseason, but it was unspectacular. I think a B minus relative to what was working, what they had working for them is 
Like that, if you could have won as high as a B plus though, and I might have understood it because I think that the Zach Levine contract is a pretty massive win for the organization. Right. Because, you know, just to put a pin on, on put a bow on the Levine thing, like, you know, over the past couple of years, there were definitely periods where it was like, oh, you know, you, there were, it seemed like there was a chance that he might leave. And now the cap space situation of this past off season made that seem less and less likely as it sort of crystallized. But like, you, we got to work big to small, I think. And so it, it, it was not a foregone conclusion, probably right up towards the end of last season that Levine would be back. Like there was a legitimate chance that maybe he was, you know, there was just all the agent speak stuff, but like he was going to test the market and he was looking forward to being an unrestricted free agent, you know, all that stuff. So they got him back and that just kind of controls it for me. So I, I think actually we kind of view that the same way. It just, we, we ended up closer than I thought we would actually. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I was prepared to be harder on them, but when I was going through their actual off season and everything else that happened around the league, I don't know how much you like the stuff that you're going to take issue with is stuff in the more distant past, like yeah. the DeRozan trade, the Vooch trade and the stuff that set them up here. Also, we might be feeling completely differently about this team. If Caruso and Lonzo ball never get injured a hundred percent. Then to your point, that's why Dragic matters because like all the reports about Lonzo ball continue to be pretty iffy. Um, that's probably putting it kindly too. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and the, their season completely changed when those two guys were hurt. So and Dragic will not do what, what those guys did defensively. But yeah, that, that, you know, position of need addressed, I would say, even, even if maybe his age makes him, you know, as, as unreliable potentially as ball's going to be. We'll see. Uh, anything else on them? That's all I got. Let's move on to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, notable moves for them include they drafted um, O'Shea Akbaji at number 14. They drafted Isaiah Mobley at number 49 and then signed him to a two-way contract. They signed RJ Neemhard to a two-way contract. Uh, they saw a, a two-way, not a two-way, excuse me. They signed Robin Lopez to a one-year veteran minimum deal. Their big move so far, uh, well, their second biggest move so far was they signed Ricky Rubio to a three-year deal, um, $18.4 million, the the full mini MLE. Uh, they signed Haul Neto to a one-year uh, veterans minimum deal, and then they signed Darius Garland to a five-year um, designated rookie extension. It's worth 192.9. That can be bumped up to, I think it's 215 or, or 219, whatever it is, if he makes all NBA and it becomes worth 30% of the cap. It's two, actually 231 million. It could be bumped up to, I believe, uh, which that's a number you're happy to pay if he made an all NBA team. So right. it's just whatever it is, that's fine. Uh, notable exits. So Colin Sexton, Ed Davis, and Ray uh, John Rondo all remain unsigned. So they haven't exited, but Colin Sexton specifically still a re restricted free agent as we record this. And then Moses Brown signed an exhibit 10 deal with with the Clippers. Uh, how did you grade the, the off season from this team? Sort of knowing that I would argue just to, I won't give you my grade, but I did sort of bake in the fact that I think they've mishandled the Colin Sexton situation, at least to date. So that was going to be my first question to you is, is how, is how do you feel about how the Sexton thing has gone? Um, you, I'll, I guess I'll get to that. The Sexton thing actually didn't factor that much into my grade just because I don't know what's going to happen yet with him. Um, I do think that the longer this goes on and like we're way past the long end now in terms of offseason stuff, the, the better the chances are that they kind of retain him on a deal that makes sense for the team. Um, as opposed to, you know, past scenarios where it's, well, we're talking about 20 million a year or, you know, that, that always seemed a little, if a little much to me. So I didn't really factor that in and I gave them a B plus not to bury the lead. 
again, working from the big to small thing, like I think Garland people, I could, if you, if you think it's, if you think Garland hasn't proved enough, I guess I could be receptive to that, but you, clearly he's, if you're not sure if you're, he's a little too small or defensively, we're not sure that he's a max guy. I think offensively he's there and he's young enough to improve. And I think too, just the numbers, I, the, the stat that just, you know, say what you want about on off swings, but the Cavs are 13.9 points per hundred worse when he's not on the floor. Like that's a big deal. Um, he is a vital piece. He's the only guy last year for long stretches that could sort of get the offense running. Um, he's a good enough shooter, I think, to project as someone that really stretches the defense like a Lillard uh, going forward. The size is an issue again, but I just think he's vital to the team. They locked him up. And then I think Rubio and Neto coming in as like your second and third stringers, even if you're not going to get a full season of Rubio, like suddenly that, that point guard situation, which was a real weakness behind Garland last year is like, you're set. I think Neto is someone we both thought made sense for almost everybody as like a backup. And that's what he'll be until Rubio's back. And then he's your third guard. And that's a massive luxury. Uh, so I think they shored up the position they needed. Rubio's deals a little rich given the injury history and the age, but I think this is a situation where clearly he really mattered to that locker room. Like when he left, everybody was upset and to have him back, there's just, you know, the vibes are good. I think, you know, we don't talk too much about that kind of thing, but I think it matters. Um, everything else after that, I was just kind of meh about. Um, but yeah, I just thought they did the big thing and they hit the position they needed. And so, uh, and I'm a softy grading this off season. So I they ended up with the B plus for me. So I gave them a C and I consider giving them every anywhere between a C plus and a C minus. So not like huge swings. The yeah. Darius Garland thing is big. And then he also doesn't have a player option, which is really right. good, uh, for the team when you're projecting forward. I didn't love the Rubio deal because like you said, he's not going to be ready and it costs you almost the entire mini mid-level exception. And I think that I most disenchanted, I was also fine with the Akbaji pick. I know a lot of people uh, don't think that he's going to end up being a good enough shooter in the NBA to justify that pick. I think it's fine. Like you don't need him to be a really good defender based off this team that you have. And so if he is going to hit his threes, like you needed that uh, from the, like the two and the wing spots more than you needed anything else. Um, but this Colin Sexton stuff, the three-year, $40 million offer that's apparently on the table, you're daring this to end in him just accepting his qualifying offer, which I don't understand. And this offer right now seems very geared towards, oh, as of right now, I have them, and there's probably give or take money here. They're within uh, like $11.4 million of the luxury tax. That is very much an offer that says, hey, we're trying not to go into the tax this year. Well, then there are a few things that could have happened. Did you need to give out the Rubio deal that badly? Did, honestly, he's not going to be ready until at least the middle of the year. And then if you were concerned about paying the tax this year, then you shouldn't have traded for Karis LeVert. And I was an advocate that it was fine. They went after LeVert. I thought people were assigning too much value to that first round pick that they owe, which they technically might not even end up paying out. If yeah. they finish this season in the lottery, it's going to convert into two second rounders. So I just like, what team are you? Are you a team that wants to have this more urgent timeline? Because if you do, then you can figure out how to duck the tax later to give Sexton what would still be an offer, I imagine he'll sign, that's cheaper than what you would have paid him in an extension last fall. And now you're daring him to sign his QO, it feels like, to where he'll just be an unrestricted free agent and it becomes hard or easier to lose him for nothing at that stage. And if you just didn't want to pay Sexton, then this should have been someone that you more aggressively looked to trade even while he was injured then. Right. And so I just don't understand that line of thinking the Sexton thing is still very unsettled. And so maybe I'd be prepared to bump up their grade 
a little bit, but just like the mode of operations here just doesn't really make sense to me. And if it's because they, again, if you're going to tell me, well, they obviously prefer Karis LeVert to Colin Sexton, then what is Colin Sexton still doing on this roster? Right. Because like you're not, his trade value hasn't increased because in, in potential sign and trade scenarios right now, unless San Antonio or Indiana really want him. So you should have just moved him um, rather than go through this whole ordeal of if he signs his QO and he stays, like he's going to be someone who's playing for his next contract and he's going to, is he going to work within the context of the team? I also think that he's more valuable to this team than people are giving him credit for. I think his passing, I don't want to say it's underrated, but that the criticism is exacerbated when you're looking at someone who can make decisions in driving kicks. Like, yeah, he can do it. And if you want him to take more catch and shoot volume, that's something you can work on, but he's a legitimately accurate catch and shoot three point marksman. That's something that this team needs. And he's more of a connective tissue to me than a Neto or even like an Okoro or even a Levert because of what he can do off the ball. Mm -hmm. I get Rubio's value as a playmaker, his IQ, and then to the locker room, and then even his defense. This isn't a team that needs Colin Sexton to be an, a, even a B-plus defender. And I think Colin Sexton can be better on the ball moving forward. You need more offensive firepower. And as we close the season and we look at the play-in tournament, they very clearly needed more offensive lethality away from the ball on the ball, whatever Sexton. No, he's not going to hit those Zach Levine type jumpers that you alluded to in the bulls grade, but he gives you that off ball valve, that outside valve. And there's even someone who just puts like pressure on the rim. And he's always been fair or not always, but he's become fairly decent when you look at the frequency with which he draws shooting fouls. And so I view him as an easier squeeze on this roster long-term than I do Karis Levert. And if you're saying you like Levert, better i think it's because you view him as the better passer which is fine and because he's taller i wouldn't call him a better defender he's certainly not a better shooter maybe he's a little bit better of a self-creator so i'm just very disenchanted with the way that cleveland has gone about this this whole colin sexton situation and i just don't know what you look at aside from the garland thing this offseason and say that was a home run even their cheaper deals like the rubio i don't i just don't know that that was a home run i think the main difference is i, I guess i'm viewing so let me ask you first, though, if if they it doesn't seem likely, uh, but if the Cavs were able to keep Sexton at that three for 40 number, would that how much would that bump your grade up? Would that get you to the C plus or would that get you to the B minus? I think you, I could probably go B minus or B. What would what would I would refrain from going too high on it because it's like, what did this do with the relationship between player and team that the only reason they got here was because they really play their leverage and that's that's the name of the game in restricted free agency i suppose so yeah i could probably be talked into a b plus then if he ends up signing the deal uh, for three if he ends up signing a three or 40 million dollar deal i'll be flabbergasted and yes i will significantly train my change my grade so this is largely based off that i don't think he's going to sign that contract i don't think he should sign that contract either yeah i think so i guess i think this is a little bit more like the bulls situation than i think initially thought in that like the problems are older than this offseason, right? Like the, I, I can understand liking the Levert move. I just don't like Levert just as a, you know, he, he doesn't do it for me. I don't like what he brings. And Sexton's a little bit that way too, even though I do agree that maybe the pendulum has swung a little too far towards the negative on Sexton. Cause you know, there's that stat out there that I can't remember offhand that, you know, there aren't that many 20 point scorers that had his true shooting efficient, true shooting percentage, uh, a couple of years when he was last healthy, like he's going to, he, so, but to me, to, to answer kind of my own question, if they got him for three for 40 or like even three for 45, I think that's just, that's what I view him as being worth because I think 
not just on this team, but on most teams, almost any team that's going to do anything winning wise of consequence. I think he's your six man. I just think that's just what, that's the type of player that he is. It's early, but that's just how I view him. So like, yeah, it would have been great to have moved him, you know, a long time ago and maybe not done the Levert thing. And then maybe we have a big thing that can play both ends on this team, which is another thing that I didn't talk about when I was saying they addressed their needs. Like it'd just be great if a could shoot and then like your problems are solved. I feel like he's going down the Josh Akogi route of like, man, if a could ever just shoot, the wolves would have their, Whoa, that is like me. He shot pretty well on corner. No, he's better than a Kogi. Okogi's yeah. like a super outlier case, but I just remember always thinking that like they have a guy, if he could just make shots, Okoro's better. But I'd feel I if instead of Lever, instead of Sexton, if they had just, you know, gone down different paths with each of those guys, maybe you've got the six, seven ready to play two way wing that just feels like needs to be there. Um, I guess you're kind of making me think I should lower this to a flat B, but how much of a difference does that really make? I don't you know. did talk I, me out I, of a C minus for them to a flat C. If okay, that's so any we kind of got we got towards the middle there. Yeah, I don't know. Um I, I just, uh, I guess maybe I'm a sucker for Ricky Rubio and I, it just makes me happy when he's on a team that's happy to have him. Yeah. I mean, good for him. I just, it's even the same thing with Joe Ingles in Milwaukee, where did they need to command the entire mini MLE or in most of the mini MLE in Rubio's case, when he's not going to play until like he tore his ACL at the end of December. Right. So I just, he, is he that important? And it's also just that you did kind of, you know, artificially lower the offer you're willing to give to Sexton. And I just, I guess I'm, if you think Colin Sexton's a six man, that's fine. As the salary cap continues to go up, like the six man is going to cost you more than $13 million. Like, are you telling me that Colin Sexton's ceiling is Jordan Clarkson? Mm, I don't know. He's a little, that's, I, that's the first name that comes to mind, to be honest, is like, he's a Clarkson type. I can't Which get there. A he's a better, he's a better shooter, better passer. I'd say probably even better defender. I just, I'm just, I don't know. Like if you view him as a six man, that that's fine. I just still feel like this, if you view him as, as a caps lock six man, but if you find him less valuable to your team than Ricky Rubio and Ricky Rubio is your six man, then I understand the offer, but three years, $40 million for a sixth man. That yeah. wouldn't be like, what do you think Tyler hero is going to get paid in Miami to be a sixth man? So I, I like we, and it's different players, but like, I think Colin Sexton ceiling is, pretty significantly higher than peak Jordan Clarkson right now. Who's probably like his, I, I think his biggest advantage is just, he's a better perimeter shot creator or shot maker. You could say off the dribble. Yeah. And he's not even like super efficient when he's doing that anyway. So I, I'm surprised. I guess I'm just higher on Colin Sexton and the consensus. And I did a podcast about that over the off season. So that's not surprising to anyone. I'm, I don't really love the way that they've, I think they've painted themselves into this, to this weird corner where I don't even know how they come out of it as a winner. Unless again, he just signs, I guess the three or $40 million offer. I think just to argue against myself a little bit that I, I sort of balk at any kind of any team that goes with the two small guards as like, these are our starting backcourt players. So if Sexton is that guy, but if anybody's going to do it, I think the team that has Jared Allen and Evan Mobley can, can get away with it. So maybe, maybe saying he's a six man, for this team is a little bit unfair because yeah, you're going to have like some point of attack problems, but your back line is so good and mobile covers up for so many mistakes. I, or, I mean, I, I assume he will continue to get better and cover up for like all the mistakes um, that you could get away with it. And then you do have better shooting and shot creation, even if you're undersized. Uh, yeah. I, 
but but uh, clearly the Cavs don't feel that way. Like clearly, because because twenty million a year, if that's your starting shooting guard on a team that's theoretically going to be really good, would not have been unreasonable, even with the injury. So clearly the Cavs are less convinced than certainly either of us that Sexton is is like a piece for the future. So and maybe that's a locker room thing. I don't know. There were the you know you can never be too like too sure factoring in that type of stuff, but it is this, this type of situation makes it seem like there's just something beyond the on-court stuff. I don't know. Just pure speculation. That's fair. And I think the only other thing I would argue here, and it's very lightly, I don't know that I factored in my grade. It would have been nice to see them more try to more aggressively upgrade the wing spot where if Akbaji is your biggest addition there, I don't know if that's going to cut it again. The market wasn't flush with all these wings and they clearly weren't willing to spend the entire mid-level exception. So that limits them there, but they've created some of these constraints for, for themselves, or they had the ability, I should say, to operate outside some of them. The Detroit Pistons are up next, though. Their most notable moves, they drafted Jay Ivey at number five. Corey Joseph picked up his $5.2 million player option. Hamadou Diallo picked up his $5.2 million player option. They signed Buddy Boheim to a two-way contract. They signed Marvin Bagley III to a three-year $37.5 million deal. It is fully guaranteed. And they traded Jeremy Grant and number 46 to Portland for number 36, uh, which became Gabrielle Procida. Uh, Milwaukee's 2025 first-round pick, top four protected, and a 2026 second, most favorable of Portland or New Orleans is. They then acquired Jalen Duran, the number 13 pick, from the Knicks for Kemba Walker and that Milwaukee 2025 first-round pick. They also acquired in a separate trade, Nerlens Noel, Alec Burks, $6 million in cash, a 2023 second round pick. It was Detroit's own and a 2026 second round pick um, for the draft rights to Nikola Radicevich, who was drafted in 2015 and a 2025 second rounder. That's top 15 protect a top 55 protected. So it was basically, they got all that stuff to take those guys into their cap space. Nerlens Noel, Alec Burks, two second rounders and $6 million in cash to lease out cap space to the Knicks. They also signed Kevin Knox to a two year, $6 million deal. With a player with a team option, excuse me, on year two, and they re-signed Rodney Magruder to a one-year veteran minimums deal. Notable exits: they declined Luca Garza's team option and they declined Carson Edwards's team option. What grade did you have for the Detroit Pistons, Grant? So this is going to feel weird after the Cavs got a B plus, which I think I'm going to call a B just for comparisons purposes. Um, th- this so is a B. B I'm going to put it me. in the doc as a B now. I'm, I'm tracking right, our grades this year. To see if we have to do May culpas next offseason. That, that's fair. That's fair. We, we, as long as we don't have to apologize for killing the Jared Allen signing again, the statute of limitations expired on that. Um, <laughs> this, this is a B plus for me. Um, I might have had it in the A range, if not for which I maybe you won't agree. I think you might. I just the Bagley signing is just like I don't understand it on any level other than he's still kind of young. Um, and is like physically athletically talented. Um, he just has not been a positive player. He like, I don't know where the competition was that made the number get as high as it did for him. Um, and the positional glut, like you've got other more important slash better players that need to be at the four and the five. And so I don't understand why we're investing here. Um, I guess you could criticize them for not going the cap space route. They sort they had a way to do that. I don't feel like that is legitimate. Um, so yeah, like they won, their draft was great. I think Ivy, I mean, part of his luck, I don't think Ivy could have easily come off the board sooner. I love his fit with Cade. I think, uh, Duran is a who knows project, but like 
you know, they really wanted him. And a lot of, it was one of those picks where everybody was like, Oh, I can't believe they pulled that off. So um, I, I, I feel good about that. And then, and then just being willing to take on um, bad money, I think. And even the money's not even that bad that they got. So I, I, I getting a first for grant, there's just all these little wins I think that add up to me. Um, but the, it's just the Bagley thing that I, that gives me pause and keeps me from, from going much higher for them. So you ended up, would you say a B for them? B plus. I struggled what to do when looking at their transactions with the Knicks. Like, do you look at them separately? Do you view it in totality? Because it's, they end up acquiring Jalen Duran, um, and Kemba Walker and Nolan Zoel, Alec Burke, 6 million in cash and two second rounders for like, that's what was the cost of their cap space. Plus that Milwaukee first round pick, unless I'm forgetting anything there. So like, is that like a sensible you like, is, are they so sure Jalen Duran is that guy? Um, and it doesn't even sound like he's going to be part of their starting lineup, which I guess you can argue makes sense. Uh, I'm ultimately, I think fine because I don't think, I don't think they needed to go the cap space route. And yeah. I also don't view Alec Burks as like, if you view New Orleans Noel as a sunk cost at this point, that's fine. Uh, Kemba Walker clearly was, but if you view like Alec Burks can play and yeah. gives them shooting that they could definitely need, uh, the stuff that I didn't, and I think the Ivy pick was just at that spot. He fell to you. Like that's a fell at number five, but that's a no brainer. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I, like I said, I'm tantalized by the Ivy Cunningham Duran trio. Why did you not more aggressively target shooting on this team? And I'm inclined to feel a little bit better about that because Isaiah livers healthy. Looks like he's really going to sling it. And I actually just made the case. I think they should start him. Like they should wow. start, they should start Bay livers and either Stewart or Duran with Ivy and Cunningham. But the Marvin Bagley contract, I just, he played really well for them. He had some nice uh, connections with Cade, uh, showed some nice touch around the basket, some some even nice fades a little bit. But like, where does he fit in the context of this? I don't ever want to see him playing the four. And it only makes he sense. Can't. If, he can't but, play the four. He just can't only, do it. The only front court partner that it really makes sense to play him with right now is Kelly Olinick because Olinick can shoot. And that would be a defensive disaster. Yep. And I also just think when you look at the the totality of this team, is there enough? Is there enough shooting? You have Burks, you have Livers. Let's consider Sadiq Bay a good shooter. I think Kate Cunningham will be better, but the I want to see Kate Cunningham surrounded by more shooting, and I don't think that they did that enough. So I ultimately went with a B minus uh, because I don't think I was blown away by the transactions. They, I think what they did with the Knicks was absolutely fine, mm-hmm. but I I just like the the Bagley deal rubs me the wrong way. Like I said, and I still think there's this weird like. On like ambiguity when you're looking at the, it's more so the four spot because you're, I guess you're going to play like two bigs or two undersized, but because Isaiah Stewart is like kind of small and I really love beef stew, but I don't, I don't necessarily love the, the log jam that they've created there. And even you can filter out Nerlens Noel if you don't think he should play, but there's also a chance that Nerlens Noel is more impactful than Marvin Bagley at this point and, and fully guaranteed. I understand having mid end contracts with the cap going up can be valuable for trade talks, but fully guaranteed at nearly 38 million for over three years. I, I didn't understand that. Uh, they've clearly been a team that's going to think outside of, or not outside the box, but they're going to think to the beat of their own drum or whatever under Troy Weaver. So we have to see how it works out, but I didn't love anything that they did. You can, I don't know that you can hate or love the Jaden Ivy pick because it was almost sort of made for like, did you, I guess if they picked Benedict Matherin, you wouldn't have been mad, but you really have to feel strongly that Shaden Sharp or Benedict Matherin is better than Jay Nivey. I don't feel strong enough on either of those fronts. Uh, 
it just felt like the no-brainer pick. So how much credit do you give them for that? That's why I ended up at a B minus. Yeah, I, I can see that for sure. I think for me, just you know, Ivy Ivy has like major downside risk, um, which actually in the top, like in the top 10, especially if you're a team like the Pistons, I'm good with. Um, I think you're just trying to hit hit bombs. Like that, that's just that should be the approach. Um, so yeah, my grade rests a lot on a guy that they like you said, lucked into that has a huge like volatility factor in his future. And I just think, I just think Ivy, I think it's still a guards league. I think it's cool that we saw a bunch of forwards and stuff go, go off the board early. That's fine. Uh, but like, if, if you're going to tell me that there's a guy with a shot, like a, just a shot to be a super athletic lead guard that actually makes sense. The next to the big wing that you already have that handles the ball, like, I don't know. I like I like the theoretical approach a lot there. I also do feel like this is a grade that could be bumped up. Like I look at these moves and I'm like, I can't see myself a year from now if this is just how it plays out and they let Nerlens Noel and Burke come off the books and they like because they also and this is what I'm getting at. They haven't even bought out Kemba officially yet. I know that was yeah. reported. So are there other moves to follow for them this offseason? So it's a grade that I could see immediately changing because of something else they do. I don't look at this roster and think, well, I'm going to be incredibly wrong about yeah. the actual moves that they've made. I think, look, Burks, Ivy, great pickups. I'm the Bagley contract, and I think some of the weird decisions it creates and then the issues that go unaddressed as sort of a byproduct of it, mm -hmm. uh, that's the stuff that I can't get past for them. Yeah, That would bring us to the Indiana Pacers had a fairly eventful offseason. They're another team that's just like with Buddy Heald and Miles Turner still on this roster. This just feels a little futile, but... So their notable moves, they signed DeAndre Ayton to a four-year, $133 million offer sheet. Phoenix immediately matched it. They drafted Benedict Matherin at number six. They drafted uh, point guard Andrew Nembard at number 31 and signed him for four years, $8.6 million, million deal. They acquired Kendall Brown, the number 48 pick from Minnesota, for a 2026 second rounder, the least favorable of Indiana, San Antonio, and Miami's, I think it ends up being. Uh, they picked up O'Shea Brissett's team option. No brainer decision there. Signed Jalen Smith to a three-year, $15.1 million contract. It includes a player option on the final season. And they also, as of right now, guaranteed him a starting spot. And then they traded Malcolm Brogdon to the Boston Celtics for Daniel Tice, who has two years and $17.8 million guaranteed left on his deal. Um, and then a team option on that final year. But they acquired Daniel Tice, Aaron Neesmith, Malik Fitz, Nick Stauskas, Jawan Morgan, and Boston's 2023 first-round pick, top 12 protected. Uh, they then, when you look at their notable exits, TJ Warren signed with Brooklyn. They waived Dwayne Washington Jr. as a way to create money to finish up the eight and offer sheet. He then signed with Phoenix, ironically. Lance Stevenson still remains unsigned. And just as a footnote, they did waive Malik Fitz, Nick Stauskas, and Juwan Morgan, who came over from that, that Celtics trade. What grade did you give the Pacers? So I had this as a B uh, back in July when I initially wrote up grades um, on the assumption that there was just more coming. Um, cause the Brogdon trade had happened, the Jalen Smith deal had happened, but this was before the Deandre Ayton, uh, being a member was a member of the team for like five seconds. Um, but I'm going to drop this to, I think I'll just go C plus. Um, you could talk me into a C, but for official purposes, I'm going C plus. Um, I, I don't hate them going into the season with their cap space. I think actually that might be one of the better qualities they have. Cause it's basically them in the Spurs with you know, that are kind of your buyout or not your buyout, but your, your salary dumping grounds. Maybe you're going to get some picks that way. Um, but like, I like the Matherin pick. I think it makes sense. 
Um, the Brogdon trade I'm fine with, um, Jalen Smith, like we joked, I think during all of our free agent pods about how, like, he just, he's my guy. Why doesn't everybody want to sign him? I I'm okay at that number. I'm not super okay with guaranteeing him a starting spot, but I don't think you could renege on that. I just found it. I found it funny that I had to throw it in there that they, they guaranteed him a starting spot. (laughs) I mean, I would have done it, but you know, I'm not super rational about Jalen Smith. Yeah. I'm going to go C plus. I just, uh, I, the, the whole Aiton thing felt weird to me because it seems like if you're going to sign him to the offer sheet, you had to have thought for a second that maybe the Suns weren't going to match. And 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 it seemed very clear, or at least the Suns maybe smokescreened it really well, but it seemed clear that like that was never a possibility this, once they matched immediately. So I guess I just wonder what else maybe could have been done with that cap space that I guess they were saving I think a Miles Turner trade would have made some sense, but then like how long have we been saying that? Um, so it's just kind of uninspiring on balance. I think they did move Brogdon at the right time and I'm okay with that return for it. Uh, just for a number of reasons, his health being so iffy, the potential that like, he's just a really bad contract, even though the number's not huge, if he has another season like last one or even worse in terms of availability and it's just give Halliburton the keys, I think is the other thing that I'm very good with based on how he finished the season. So I don't know. I'm just kind of talking in circles, but it just feels like average to a little bit above average to me. Um, Cause it does seem like maybe there was some funky like miscalculations in their like overall plan of what we're going to do with our resources this off season. Yeah. I was close to you. I, again, you've been kinder to me. I gave them a C. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it was, I don't have a problem with the Jalen Smith contract. I just want to make that clear. I find it weird that Jalen Smith got a player option. Yes. Uh, but that again, uh, they paid him basically as much as they could pay him to, uh, given that his team option had been declined. And he look, he played well for them. So I have zero issues really with that contract. I don't have any problem with the Malcolm Brogdon trade. I do find it funny. There are a lot of Pacers fans that were in comments of mine and others where we were looking at when we were coming up with trades for Malcolm Brogdon, there were Pacers fans that really thought that they were going to get like a, a top 10 pick for Malcolm Brogdon. And they didn't. They got a top 12. It's like a, a mildly protected first from a team that's going to finish in the 20s anyway. Right. And you got to take back, like, the, that's why I mentioned the value of the Daniel Tice contract is like two years at it'll be less than it's less than mid level exception money now. Uh, when you kind of already have all these bigs on the roster with Isaiah Jackson, Jackson, Gogo Batadze, Miles Turner is still there, Jalen Smith starting starter, Jalen Smith, excuse me. Um, also, and then the eight and offer sheet. I don't have a problem that they did it. No. But like you waived Dwayne Washington Jr., who was like a caps lock shooter. And made, look, you the rest of your roster, it's 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 like not even peppered, it's brimming with guards. So it's not a huge opportunity cost, but you didn't put any like extras on the eight and offer sheet, like a player option, a trade bonus. Could I know in like front load it to make it somehow less palatable for Phoenix? I know Herb Simon typically hasn't done business like that, but Phoenix had all the time in the world to sign him. This feels like they were doing a favor for Aiton's agent, who is Bill Duffy. And my other th- issue here is that how many times have you just like given the fuck you signed to Miles Turner yeah. at this point? And it's, I don't know that this will absolutely factor in, but this is someone who is going to be a free agent. He's extension eligible. I imagine that, I, I suppose the Pacers could bowl him over with an offer to where he would sign it. Or maybe he actually looks at this roster now and says, well, there might be an opportunity for me to do things on offense that I, I couldn't. And look, probably, let's be frank, shouldn't have been doing right. when Domas Sabonis was on the team. And I like his fit next to Halliburton and Benedict Matherin, who I think was 
a fantastic pick. I had Benedict Matherin higher on my board than uh, Shaden Sharp. I would put that with the caveat of I get like shin deep into the draft. So let's just see how that pans <laughs> out. But I don't understand why then you gave him the offer sheet at all. If it was so palatable for Phoenix to immediately match it like that. And what was the intel you had? Because we right. know NBA teams are informed enough. With all of that said, I do respect that they have decided that this is a, at least from the, you know, the outside looking like this is a rebuild. And mm -hmm. oh, the thing I wanted a quick correction on here. Um, I gave Andrew Namehard to two teams, uh, RJ Namehard to two teams. They have Andrew Namehard is who they signed to that four-year deal. So just a cor quick correction there. But I, I just like, I, I respect that they've chosen to actually rebuild, which is something that Herb Simon has really avoided. And I'm not saying that any of the moves that they made were were detrimental, but it just feels it's all very average. I don't think they won any single moves that they've actually made. Like maybe the uh, the name hard, you know, the number 31 pick, maybe that pans out as like this bargain contract for the team. Uh, but the eight and offer sheet, there was I I failed to see what the upside was for them. And I really thought when they offered it that there was just going to be something attached that made it a little bit harder to digest for uh, Phoenix. And the fact that it didn't, and then what message does that send to Miles Turner? Have you somehow damaged his trade value because you so clearly don't figure a future with him involved at this point? I mean, it's gotten to the point where there was like a, a huge, I won't even call it a subset, but a very large portion of Lakers Twitter was, I had I was having arguments with that Miles Turner is worth more than a second round pick to trade for. And I'm not blaming that on the Pacers. That's clearly just a disconnect in certain fans that live in La La Land. But like, what are what are you doing here? And why is he, I'm not going to be trading for the sake of trading him. I do believe that some of this business, again, is being held up uh, by Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell, but you're not directly involved in either of those sweepstakes. Although I would make the case that if Indiana wanted to, I could support a Halbert and Donovan Mitchell backcourt if anybody cares about that. So I'm just, I respect the direction. I just think it was a very average offseason for a team that when you look at how much cap space they still had, could have been a lot more aggressive. And I do recognize that what really could change this is what do they wind up doing with the cap space? Do they fold it over at the trade deadline into something that a, a team that's looking to get off money in advance of free agency or just for some reason? Um, or do they win the move that includes Buddy Heald and or Miles Turner in it? There's a level of incomplete here. I also just feel like there shouldn't be given all the tools that they were they they had at their disposal this summer. Right. Yeah. Incomplete is, is definitely at play here. I, I just wonder like I wonder what Miles Turner's trade value is. I, I, but the only thing that's for sure is that it's lower than it was a year ago and then two years ago, which is about how long the trade whispers had kind of been swirling around. So he might be the longest tenured mentioned in trades without getting traded player in the league. I'm trying to think is there anyone else that's like no, he's got the camp. belt because like it was him and like you know Dame in there for a little bit and 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 Beal for a little bit, but oh, like Beal for sure, Beal. But but this is, I mean, not only was he is he like the longest tenured guy, he's also the guy that you could just talk yourself into fitting on every team. Remember how often how easy that is, and how often you just say like you know who'd really help the Hornets? Like the Hornets were always the team, right? Just get him in there. You know, they still might be the team. <laughs> they might still be the team. That's right. No, I, I just wonder, this is another thing where I think part of like us not feeling super great about the whole situation is due to like what Indiana did not do 18 months ago, right? Yeah, because right. like they're just in this situation that they didn't need to be in. If you're going to trade Turner and clearly they've entertained the idea for a very long time, just fucking do it.
because now you're in a, now he's an expiring contract and yeah, he's worth more than a second rounder, I think, but the longer this goes on, the, the less valuable he becomes just because he's going to be, unless they extend him, which I don't, I mean, do you, I don't think that's likely. <laughs> that would be honestly the most hilarious. Outcome would he sign it? Well, I mean, I, I think I'd I, rather I look just at, like if they came at a $30 million a year extension, well, well, actually he can't even go that high because of how much he's being paid. So that's the other thing he's at, what is he? 18 million this year. Mm-hmm. So he probably doesn't even sign one because a 120% raise no. off of that. Maybe that, like if he liked the team, maybe, but I can't imagine he's super happy and I don't want to be, a, I'm, I'm really trying not to ascribe his feelings to this, but how many times he was basically sent to Boston at one point. Right. Well, he I, I just he admitted that. So I'm, again, I like the Pacers direction. So it's yeah. like, again, a C is not super critical. And I wanted to throw this to you is if they wind up doing the deal where it's, they take on Russell Westbrook and they wave him and they're sending out Buddy Heald and Turner and they're getting back. How many of the Lakers picks would you need them to get back to like that deal for them? If they even just got 27 unprotected, is it something you consider at this point? Because you're like, well, Buddy Heald's contract is, I don't view it as a substantial net negative, but I get why, you know, unless you're a team like the Lakers who should want Buddy Heald at that number, I can see why it's not part of the appeal. I've, like if I'm the Lakers, I probably would give up the two first round picks for Buddy Heald and Turner. And if the Pacers did that move, uh, that that trade is gonna it's it's gonna skyrocket for me. And again, it's not so much that Miles Turner is still on this roster as the Aiton extracurriculars here that just did not add up in the end. Yeah, I'm I'm doing if you're giving me both of those Lakers first, I'm doing that in a heartbeat, and the Pacers get an A because I I don't think I don't think there's anything more valuable than like a few years down the line Lakers picks right now. So the only thing I'll say is that we probably might have felt the same way before LeBron James just decided to sign with them and then before Anthony Davis forced his way. Would you here's the question though? Would you do it for the one? There could be other maybe they include Austin Reeves or whatever, but would you do it for the one unprotected Lakers pick? I think I would, only because it seems clear that like Turner is just not worth a first on his own. And because that would have happened by now, I assume. Uh, and he's not going to be on the team next year. It's this seems like the other clear thing. So you're sort of just, I mean, it's not really truly accurate to think of it this way, but I'm giving up healed for, you know, the privilege of buying out Russell Westbrook and getting what I think is going to be a super valuable first. So I'm like kind of messing with the hypo a little bit, but like if two, I'm two, I'm like jumping up and down one of those two firsts. I think I still do it. Here's my issue. I I might. I think I need something else on the Pacers because I think you're sending out the two most valuable players in that deal. Oh, no question. So why are you getting like can they they have to include like a 26 swap then? So like sure. it just needs to be something, but I I might do it anyway if you're that much of And look, if you're Kevin Pritchard and the front office, you might just be like, "Well, this sends the message that like hello job security because we need some time to see how this stuff plays out since we're clearly going to be so yeah. bad and now you've set yourself up for okay i i still think the pacers will be not a playoff team this year even if they stand pat but now you've ensured that you'll be even worse get another high pick in there have some of these future assets built up like predominantly that that lakers 27 pick so i might do it if i'm very much committed to like this long-term rebuild but it feels like they deserve to get more because I, maybe i'm just too high on miles turn maybe i'm too high on buddy healed <laughs> <laughs> well we, we, we're certainly not too high on Russell Westbrook. That's We can agree on that. It's interesting because if you just put him on a team with four shooters who could all defend, that team 
might actually still be really good. But do you know how specific a set and impossible a set of circumstances that is? I'm 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 out. I'm done. I I I want to take my lap on on calling that Westbrook acquisition just ridiculous last year, and nothing has changed. I just like you can't you can't win. You can't win with them. I don't think. But that's we're not doing the Lakers, so we're we'll also done that. with the Pacers. You're done with yeah. Russell Westbrook, and we're done with the Pacers. Our final team in the Central Division, the Milwaukee Bucks. I have them on the notable moves. They drafted uh, Dan Favalli's draft day favorite, Marjan Bochamp, at number 24. Pat Connaughton picked up his $5.7 million player option, and then the Bucks signed him to a three-year, $28.3 million extension. There's a player option on that final year. This entire deal would take him through his age 33 season. They re-signed Javon Carter to a two-year uh, vet minimum deal, player option on year two. Re-signed Wes Matthews to a one-year vet minimum deal. They signed Joe Ingles to a one-year $6.5 million deal. That was the entire mini MLE. They signed Bobby Portis to a four-year, $48.6 million deal, a player option on year four. They re-signed Serge Ibaka to a one-year deal at the veterans minimum. Uh, they re-signed Luca Veldoza to an Exhibit 10 contract, and they signed Lindell Winnington to an Exhibit 10 deal. Notable exits. The only one I have, and I was actually surprised, Jordan Wara remains unsigned as we record this. Uh, I feel like I should double-check that because I feel like it's like, or triple-check it, a signing that I just could have completely have, have missed. But... Oh, I did not. I did not miss it. Um, so, yeah. What did you give the the Milwaukee Bucks? So this was a C minus uh, a month ago, and having lived with it now for a little while, um, it's a it's a D plus. And my official is a D plus. Um, I just and, and like it's kind of unfair because I don't know how we're viewing this team. If Chris Middleton Middleton is healthy for the balance of the playoffs last year, um, the biggest issue might not seem as as big because so so they use they use their roster they use their exception on joe ingles right i love joe ingles i love the idea of joe ingles i have a really hard time imagining him uh closing games and maybe that's not gonna happen but he's gonna be a significant rotation guy in what i assume is a deep playoff run that at least to me i would be disappointed if it didn't include the conference finals if not the finals so what you're doing is saying the West Matthews, Ingles, Connaughton, I just, Beauchamp, I just, I'm not going to pencil him in for anything, even though I do like him. Uh, maybe not as much as you do, but. So I'm smitten. Gonna, That's how much I'm smitten. We're, smitten. <laughs> we're going to play. We're going to, we use our biggest resource on Joe Ingles, who is coming off a torn ACL and. Like this, again, this is a, well, what would you have wanted them to do? To me, sign a guy that you think might be able to stay on the floor on either end or on defense. Cause offensively, I think he'll probably be fine. Um, the shot's going to be there. He's a great passer. You can use him in pick and rolls. Like there are, you, you will find uses for Joe Ingles offensively. I just don't, I don't see him being playable in the biggest minutes against the best teams. And that's all the Bucks should care about. Now that guy's super hard to find, like, and maybe the MLE wasn't going to do it, but like, in addition to just, I don't see him healthy being able to occupy that role, um, coming off a major injury. I definitely don't see it. So maybe that's harsh. Uh, but like this team is at a point where when you've got such a finite number of ways to get better, you just can't, you can't mess, you can't mess it up. Like, and, and they're, the stakes are incredibly high because they're going to be great. Uh, they're a title threat, like even now. Like that, be, having Ingles doesn't knock them out of that class. I don't think it just makes it harder. It takes their odds down like a percent or two, but that's a big deal at that echelon of the league. 
So I'm grading them more harshly just because I think had they nailed it, had they got the perfect guy, you know, with that, with that MLE, then maybe they're like prohibitive title favorites. I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to say, but I, I just think the stakes were high and they, and they just didn't get the right guy. And I love Ingles. It's just not the right guy. They, this might be our biggest digression. Cool. I gave them a B. Wow. And so the Ingles signing, I was more happy with in the moment than after I munched on it a little bit. Because you're right. I don't think he's going to be a part of closing lineups, but I think the shooting and passing will help them a lot on offense to where if you ever want to go with Giannis as the lone big, mm-hmm. you can go Ingles, Middleton, Drew Holiday, Connaughton, and Giannis, and that's a viable lineup at both ends to me. Uh, other thing I like, Marjan Bochamp. I don't know if his athleticism is going to translate perfectly to the offensive end, but the way he hit looked when he hit some corner threes, he looked kind of comfortable with it in summer league, and then what he should be able to do defensively. I'm very high on him, and I'm hoping he gets a, a real crack at rotation minutes early on. Middleton coming back from that wrist surgery. We have Joe Ingles out, and presumably you don't want to play Wesley Matthews a trillion minutes again. Uh, like He was so important to them in the playoffs. In like this, That's a problem. That was a problem. It was a pleasant surprise, but also like wildly uncomfortable at the same time. Yeah. So, I, But I also liked getting Javon Carter back. Like that. Getting West back. I like that. Here are the things that I, I straight up did not like. You mentioned that, and I talked to Ty Windish of the Eurostep about this. It doesn't seem like Milwaukee wants more Giannis as the lone big lineups, especially during the regular season, which I can get. I hate the Bobby Portis contract, and I'm well aware. You look at some of the numbers. Uh, he and Giannis straight up the Bucks slayed opponents when they were on the court together. My whole thing is I don't view that as someone who's going to be in your best playoff lineups. And to mm-hmm. give a four-year deal that's still going to be above the mid-level exception type money moving forward, and then the player option, you couldn't have spent that money elsewhere. I get it. I don't love the contract. I don't love what it says about how they want to build out their roster moving forward. Uh, I don't, it's uninspiring. It was only the minimum, but like Serge Ibaka didn't play well enough to be like, just pencil him in for a roster spot here. And, but what I will say, and this would be subject to change. What, and by the way, I love the Connaughton stuff for them. I'm surprised. I thought if he declined his player option, he was going to get the full mid level just because how barren the wing market was. And he played so well last year. This does take him into his like early mid thirties, but I think that's fine for what the bucks need him to do. And it's to me, it's going to wind up being a below value. at worst. It'll be a market value extension. So I like that. Uh, they're spending they're 27 plus million into the tax right now. And I'm they, every team. If you're good, should go into the tax. I'm not going to, you know, applaud the team governors here, but the fact that they were willing to spend where it was, Oh, it wasn't even a second guess. They just paid Bobby Portis and they locked up Pat Connaughton long-term. Uh, and the fact that they were willing to use their mini mid-level and all of it on one player. I like that level of aggression. I don't know that all of these moves are perfect. And I don't know that I don't look at this team and think they're better than the team that closed last season. I think the way that you're going to get better is either if Mar- uh, Marjan Bochamp explodes or just if Chris Middleton's healthy. Right. At the same time, that's not the worst position to be in because if Chris Middleton was healthy, we might be talking about them as the NBA champions. And so I gave them a better than regular passing grade because this is a team that clearly at least senses the urgency um, with which they need to, to operate. And what nothing they did is irreversible to me. And they could still technically go out on the trade market. You have that Grayson Allen money. And Bobby Portis is at least a solid mid-end contract you can move once he's he's trade eligible. So I'm not saying they were geniuses to sign Bobby Portis to a deal that they'll move later. If I had to guess, I think he's going to wind up underperforming that extension. That's just projecting forward. But I like what 
they did this offseason sort of signals, and I think they at least preserved their upside from last season if they're at full strength. Yeah, you know, you're making a lot of good points. I think I'm going to go back to my original C- minus from the D+. Plus. The D+, plus does feel harsh. Uh, I'm you in for a C-. minus. I do think, so, and actually, since I still am lower than you on it, uh, it's weird that I'm going to defend the Portis contract a little bit. I think it's it's obviously like in a vacuum, it's too much. He's, all, all the points you made, I agree with. I just think it's like, let's preserve the asset. You know, let's just asset in quote marks too, because like you said, like, I don't know, I don't know that that's a, like you're trading him for fair value. Maybe you are, but it's like, you maybe just lose him otherwise. I think think, to your point, and this would rebukes what I said, like it was when you were trying to build trades for the bucks, leading to last year's deadline, step laddering your way to salary was impossible. That's a lot easier, easier now once Bobby Portis is eligible to be moved and now you have Grayson Allen's deal. And I'll also say Bobby Portis as a switch defender, not so much as a rim protector and by not so much, I mean at all, but as a switch defender has been a little bit or like a lot more capable than I remember him being in Chicago. I still just, and even when we're accounting for the salary cap spike that's coming, I'm just like, really? It's just sort of where I'm at, but I might be too married to this idea of, let's play Giannis as the lone big. And I don't view, you know, when you play those two together, there really is no center because like they, and I guess that's like part of the appeal. And I get, you don't want the wear and tear on Giannis, but I'm even looking ahead to the playoffs. And that's where I ding them the most is just, what is their best lineup going to be in the playoffs? It's Giannis Middleton and drew. I think it's Connaughton after that. And their biggest failure this off season to me is that I can't look at that fifth spot and say that's who it is. I think it's probably Brooke Lopez right. at this point. It is. And but like now we don't know, but like what if that's TJ Warren? Like well, all the risks are there and that all, all the why was he not on? I maybe he really wanted to go to Brooklyn, right. but they could have actually just I would have offered him the same contract. Sure, of course. As like, they did I, Ingles, just... I mean, not just the like they could have no. instead of Ingles, I totally get that. That's one of the instances where well, do you know what else they could have done? And it's like, well, would TJ Warren have, did he really want to go to Brooklyn so badly he would have said no to $5 million more million for the one year? I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, that's the thing. Let's be frank. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. Again, like, I think we both still agree. Like, if the Bucks just won the title, like, it, you wouldn't bat an eye. So, I mean, it, the, it's fine. It just, you know, I, I just, I'm just re- reiterating. I just wish... If it, if it had been TJ Warren, I would have been like, man, they maxed out what they could do with that slot because they got a guy that, in theory, if everything breaks right, is on the court at the end of the finals. You know that that's 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 what I would have liked to have seen. And they didn't make that type of move. They didn't take nope. that because Ingles probably isn't that player. No. Nope. Let so can we recap this very quickly? Uh, we'll go through the teams of what our grades are. So for the Chicago Bulls offseason report card, I gave them a B minus. I already don't remember what I gave them. You, you gave them a B. <laughs> uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, I gave them a C. Grant gave them a B. The Detroit Pistons, I gave them a B minus. Grant gave them a B plus. The Indiana Pacers, I gave them a C. Grant gave them a C plus. Uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks, I gave them a B. Grant gave them a C minus. If you've just skipped ahead to the end of this, go check out the entire episode uh, for our reasonings as to why we gave them the grades that we did. Grant, can you tell our fine listeners where they can find you? on social media and all the fantastic work that you do. You can find me at GT underscore Hughes. And mostly I'm going to retweet when you post this pod. I don't, that's, if that's not an endorsement to follow Grant on Twitter, I don't know what else it could be. <laughs> Until next time. And as always, we leave you the shout out to the one, 
the only, didn't enter free agency because he's too damn valuable for them to not guarantee his contract, Frank Neokina.